0: Hello, everyone.
1: I'm Simon Ford of Ford's Gin. Martinis, gin and tonics, Negronis, great classic cocktails is what I'm about. But I also love to hear of great recipes from great bartenders from around the world, which is why we've partnered with Beyond the Drink for this
2: season. Cheers. Well, you just heard from the man himself, Simon Ford, and this season of Beyond the Drink is brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. I'm Cappy, and in this series, we're going to hear from some of the best bartenders in the country as they share the stories and recipes behind their favorite drinks. Beyond the Drink is a spin-off of Beyond the Plate, our podcast that sits down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their communities. We invite you to check out this season of Beyond the Plate, where we're featuring some of the greatest restaurant and hospitality duos. And if you're new to Beyond the Drink, welcome. If you listened before, we're so glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to create a delicious cocktail or, like the bartenders we feature, make a difference in your community. To get the cocktail recipe we discussed in this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. One more thing, we have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch. You can find the link in your podcast player or go to our website beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, hoodies, and more. Again, that's beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Joining us today are two talented bartenders who competed in the Netflix reality competition series, Drink Masters. They also happen to be great friends. One is a returning Beyond the Drink guest, and I cannot wait to learn a little bit more about the other. Kate Gerwin is a widely celebrated bartender and hospitality consultant. She's been named by Drinks International as one of the industry's top 100 most influential figures in the world. And is currently an instructor for the prestigious Bar Five Day program hosted yearly at the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, my alma mater. Christian Suzuki, aka Suzu, graced us in season six with his Mikoshi Negroni cocktail. He's worked in some of San Francisco's most iconic cocktail bars and has competed in numerous bartending competitions. Personally speaking, I remember the joy I felt when he explained how his cocktails were inspired by his upbringing and served as a platform for storytelling, community, and philanthropy. You can find more on them in the episode notes and follow Kate on Instagram at alchemist Kate and Suzu at SuzuVroom. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the drink with Kate Gerwin and Suzu. Good to have you both here.
0: Good to be here. Thank you for having us.
2: Quick audio test, Kate. We like to start every episode with an audio test and have our guest name two or three of something. So we're going to start with you. Why don't you name two ingredients you love to use with gin?
0: Two ingredients I love to use with well, gin and gin and more gin. No, just kidding. That's our style of drinking. <laughs> so besides just adding extra gin to the gin, I do love gin and vermouth because I love me a good martini. And I think... As basic as it seems, I think gin and cucumber is nice and fresh. And I I don't know, I tell people, um, you know, give the people what they want. And people love cucumber and fresh ingredients. So I think gin and cucumber is a no-brainer.
2: Suzu, name two ingredients you love to use with gin.
0: I mean, I I think I'm still kind
1: of like on like a Japanese kick right now. coming straight from summertime in in Japan. So like white peach, I think is like my favorite ingredient. It's also very like approachable. It's delicious, seasonal. And then I'm a big sucker for martinis as well. So vermouth, whether if it's a dry vermouth, or if I'm going to go a little bit more voluptuous with a blanc, but gin and vermouth is just the most beautiful pairing together.
2: Love it. All right. You guys sound fantastic. Let's go. All right, Kate, let's kick it off with a little question for you here. One of your, I was seeing one of your favorite crowning moments was being inducted into the Tales of the Cocktail Hall of Fame Catalyst Awards, which celebrates the contributions of hardworking people to the the spirits and cocktail industry and is one of the only peer judged awards in the industry. So my question is why that award over oh I don't know, best US bar team at the Spirited Awards or drinks industry innovator of the year award <laughs> 2023 or bartender of the year 2023 at Bar and Restaurant Expo in Vegas.
0: Well, I will say to be completely honest that bio was updated and written before we got best bar team like Two months ago. The Hall of Fame Award, because it's peer judged and it's judged by the people who were inducted previously, which those people tend to be obviously were my idols, my icons, my mentors, people I looked up to that that was huge for me It happened in 2015. So like, I don't know, a long time ago, because I'm old. So that one was huge for me for a very long time. And obviously still is, is very important. But this year, we did get best bar team. And to me, that is the epitome of all of the spirited awards. I, I, I'm i not trying to knock anyone else that gets I mean, obviously, best cocktail bar and all those things. But my team really means a lot to me. And I think that award in particular really demonstrates a much bigger view of how you operate so the best bar team award is probably like that's the one for me i didn't see it coming i you know there's we're up against some pretty stiff comp which is always the case with the spirited awards and we're in a small market but it just means a lot that people are paying attention to the things that we're doing and trying to put into effect so it's
2: pretty dope. Suzu. it looks like since we last spoke, you racked up a uh, Star Chef's Community Rising Star Award, Tales of the Cocktail, Bartender of the Year nomination, Tales of the Cocktail, Best U.S. Cocktail Bar nomination, and Vibe 75 honoree. What's new, buddy? What's been happening?
1: The last uh, couple of years have been kind of, I guess, like pretty awesome and successful. (laughs) It's like weird to say that out loud. I think the last time we spoke was still during the lockdown in 2020, I believe, in that in between time, it really did allow me to kind of like focus a lot more on my career as opposed to just being in competitions and working for other people. I really got to become my own boss in a certain way. And that definitely got a lot of recognition and allowed me to really just focus on just my myself and my projects. So everything from like in vibe 75, like that was a huge focus on like my pop-up, which I thought was like really incredible and a huge honor to have other people kind of watching me from other markets. And then of course, like the Tails nominations, that's always like the biggest honor to be recognized by my industry colleagues. Yeah, I don't know. It's been pretty cool. It's a little overwhelming at times. I myself and my own separate entity and name and reputation besides like the bar that I currently manage. So, you know, it's bouncing two babies almost. It's been amazing. It's been really worth it. So I'm very proud of myself.
2: Good. You should be. That's awesome. All right. I'm excited to learn. I'm always excited to learn new cocktails when I do these episodes. But Kate, let's start with your cocktail. I love the name. I'm curious. Well, I, I I could guess the inspiration, but tell us all about it.
0: Goo Goo for Suzu. So when we were on Drink Masters. <laughs> Did you know um, this?
2: She was going to be talking about this Suzu no, or no? No, I
0: didn't. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, he knows the drink. Like he knows okay, the drink. So when we were filming Drink Masters, our host, Tone Bell, I honestly probably have lost track of what episode or when it came about.
1: It was the very first episode.
0: Was it really? <laughs> so this it carried on through the one. whole, yeah, the whole season. So we had this whiteboard in the green room where we would write weird things from the day, funny things, like just sh- to keep us going. It was, it was a very long process. And we were stuck in this room together, you know, 14 hours a day, no TV, no access to phones or no nothing. So we would try and find ways to keep each other busy. And at the end of one of the challenges, Tone kind of stepped off. To the side, and he was like, I'm Goo Goo for Suzu. And we all just lost it. And I went back in and I wrote on the whiteboard, I'm Goo Goo for Suzu and hashtagged it. And we were all joking that it needed to be a hashtag. And we spent a lot of time together on the show and we did a lot of things. And one night we may or may not have been drinking. And I think it was like the next morning, Suzu comes in and he's like, I woke up this morning and looked at my phone and I was ordering Goo Goo for Suzu shirts. Do you remember that, Suzu? (laughs) he he was like I was making shirts that said goo goo for Suzu he never ordered them and I need to get them ordered one day (laughs) But it was a running joke for us throughout the show that we were all goo-goo for Suzu because Suzu is fun and energetic and kept us all happy. So when we left, I was like, I kept joking that I was going to put a goo-goo for Suzu cocktail on the menu and it wasn't a joke. And we did put a goo-goo for Suzu cocktail on the menu and it is on our menu. And Suzu came out and did a pop-up and we debuted it then and put it on the menu and it's been on. And it was just kind of like not only my homage to my friend and the experience that we had, but some of the ingredients as well. So there was a, the gooseberry incident heard around the world are there was a, it wasn't as dramatic as it seemed on the show but there was an, a situation where Suzu got to pick a fruit and he picked gooseberries and one of the other contestants switched the fruit and he ended up getting pomelos instead? Pomelos. Okay, and pomelos she instead. She didn't realize
1: that I have like a sensitivity towards like citrus ingredients. Like, I mean, I love citrus juice and they really wanted to edit me to be like this anti-citrus person, but like Which I not. have a scary sensitivity. My mouth gets super itchy and red and she had absolutely no idea. So I got a little sassy for like literally 2.2 seconds. It and wasn't that got-
0: even 2.2 <laughs> seconds. I swear it wasn't, but... <laughs> Editing, whatever.
2: Television. Yeah, exactly.
0: So there was a whole thing about gooseberries in Suzu. So this cocktail, it features Ford's gin, gooseberry, Yuzu, which is our, our Suzu citrus of choice, Togarashi, and Kalpico, which is a Japanese yogurt soda. It's delicious, it's fun. It was a way for me to kind of just have some fun with some ingredients and put a drink on in honor of Suzu. And it's it I think originally we were talked about it being around just for the pop up but it's been on the menu ever since it's a staple for us and funny enough when we put the drink on the menu this didn't happen but Suzu likes to make origami cranes and i have a employee that a gentleman came into the bar sat at the bar one night was just making origami cranes and he made a joke and he's like are you guys hiring for a garnish maker long story short we ended up hiring this person they are like our floor support food runner barback type deal. And he part of his side work is now making suzu cranes, which are little origami cranes that we put on the drink for a garnish. So full circle, this cocktail has kind of like serendipitously just become this really cool thing that is very, to me just speaks of suzu. Suzu, I don't know if anyone who doesn't know suzu knows suzu loves gin. That's his baby. So Ford's gin, Calpico, togarashi, gooseberries, what else could you what else could you not speak of suzu? I don't know. I love that. <laughs> it was great. And it it's great because we all love Suzu. And it reminds us every time. And if anybody doesn't understand or reads the name and doesn't get it, we always have a, a good story behind it. Okay, so Kate, <laughs> I'm
2: just super curious about the bar. I know, correct me if I'm wrong, this opened in 2021 on the tail end of the pandemic in Albuquerque, as you said. And I love how you set out to set a new standard in cocktail bars, it says. So can you tell me more about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the pandemic left us all with a lot of trauma, uh, um, I think, to say the least. I I can admit I felt very jaded at the way that we were taken care of or the lack thereof. We all lost our jobs. There was really no aid. There was no support. Establishments weren't in the position to take care of their staff in what I believe is the way that they would have loved to. But we operate as bars and restaurants in a very small profit range. We're expected to go above and beyond in the hospitality factor where we're spending and not only just money, but time and energy and effort and mental health, trying to make this experience for the guests. And then we all kind of just like we're left with nothing. And like, I watched my friends, you know, pivoting and you know, like half my friends, we are now real estate agents and a lot of people's bars closed and we kind of sat down and we were like, okay, I don't want to walk right back into this. We have to figure out a way where at least to our ability, we can become more equitable and more of a secure environment to work in. So we, for many reasons, we we set out and we operate a little bit differently than a lot of bars. We are a craft distiller. And we have a distiller's license and we produce and source our own spirits. And that really kind of opened up a whole new world for us in terms of costing and, you know, labor and. The money that we were able to save, we really kind of just decided to turn right back around into our staff. So we provide health insurance for everybody and a living wage. I just filled out some paperwork for a new hire. And right now, I think we're in New Mexico. Obviously, we're not in it. And our quality of life here is a little bit different. But, you know, our bartenders average $40 an hour. They're making really good money they're buying houses they're buying cars or buying vehicles they're doing things that other people do in other industries that we thought were unattainable and i don't think it's like this innovative groundbreaking thing i'm not trying to say like oh we're amazing and we care about people more than anyone else i think everybody we're in hospitality because we care about people i just don't think that we ever really were able to figure out a business model that allowed it to be an attainable thing for us to really value people the way that we want to and i'm hoping that not just in the distillers license or not just in these ways that we acknowledge that we're all very intelligent humans and that we have the capabilities to find ways to make it non-negotiable and that was one of the words that we used you know we always talk about your rent is a non-negotiable and your power is a non-negotiable and those things are you you pay your rent that's what you have to do those are non-negotiable fees and if we just built in extra non-negotiables like health insurance then I think we would all be in a different position and probably be valuing our industry a little bit more.
2: So cool. I love that we had a cool episode this season with the couple from Birdie's restaurant in Austin who just got Food and Wine's restaurant of the year like a few weeks back and we were i was talking about something similar with them and they they've done something similar within their restaurant of building in these things that you are calling non-negotiables or should be new non-negotiables which is really cool and you know and something they said that struck me is we wanted to build a restaurant that we didn't work for. We wanted to build a restaurant that worked for us. And I think I'm taking away from you, like the non-negotiable, like why can't insurance be a non-negotiable, health insurance be a non-negotiable?
0: Beyond that, it shouldn't be an employer's responsibility, but that's a whole legislation thing. I think healthcare should be accessible to everyone, not just the employed people, but it doesn't look like we're getting to that point. And it's unfortunate, but we all have to take action to make sure that we're all taken care of. I had a bar manager of mine, get hit by a city bus. I had a line cook of mine two months ago, get in a very bad car accident. I don't know what they would have done if they didn't have health insurance. My bar manager, Oscar's bills, he was in the hospital for almost two months, he almost died. He got hit head on by a bus going 40 miles an hour. I don't know what we would have done. And then I have my friend Mighty Mike, who is a food truck, who just had open heart surgery. And he's an independent business owner. And he's now looking at $200,000 worth of bills. And we're doing GoFundMes for him. And although we're very blessed that our community wants to support people, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to be in the position where we're all looking to raise money for funds for people to have common, decent healthcare.
2: Cheers to you for taking the well-being of your team, making it a priority. It's cool. Switching gears. Suzu, question we asked an earlier guest this season, I'm curious for you. I'm always intrigued, like, bartenders have this reputation, I guess for being excellent listeners, given what you all do. People open up to you all. Is there any, like, favorite story that comes to mind, maybe of a guest that maybe blew you away? I
1: did have a guest, I guess, like, somewhat recently in the last like year and a half-ish, I think, who just, like, didn't look happy. And at first, I thought it was something that I may have done. Like, maybe I made them a cocktail they weren't a huge fan of or something or whatever it was. But I, because I make such intense facial reactions, like, that's what I've been told by all my friends. I feel like I've been better at reading people's facial reactions. So I just like, you know, spoke with this guest, didn't want to like intrude too much, but I think I let them realize that I'm here in case that they want to do chat or whatever. And I guess this guest had just had their best friend pass away. And I'm not saying that like, that I will do this for every single person, but I bought his drink and it made him extremely happy. And I don't know exactly like at what level of depression he was at at that time, but that did allow this opportunity for him to kind of open up a little bit more and then it became like this like weekly thing where he would just come in and use this space use my hospitality as a place just to kind of like forget about everything you know like it's like I I felt very comfortable in that one moment in time so this is kind of like become a new happy place and then the show had launched and he had not watched the show or known about the show or even have like a Netflix account or anything and he just kept on coming in over and over and over again and realizing that these Monday nights where he was coming in and every single week, they were progressively getting more busy and more busy. And he's like, see, look, like you're such a kind person. And like, you really did allow me to be vulnerable and comfortable that I think you've done that for everyone else. And I'm like, actually, well- I think it's- of
0: This
1: that came out. <laughs> we were getting lines out the door on Monday nights and I had to have security come in every single day. And he's just like, see, like, you're such an awesome person. I'm like, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Your words are so kind to me. However, I think it's something else. (laughs) I thought that was really cute, and yeah,
2: (laughs) it's wild. The importance of one little gesture or question or being open to someone's feelings or why they're there. And I always thought that was so fascinating about the industry in general—food, drinks. You never know what the hell's going on behind. Someone could have had just the best day ever or the fucking worst day ever, and you got to treat those people. Similarly, if you can, if you're up for it, you guys, day in and day out, you two are are up for it. Before we hit Suzu's cocktail, let's have a little fun with a, a quick speed round. First thing that comes to mind. Hey, Kate, what pisses you off behind the bar?
0: Rude people. Yeah, I have this, I don't even call it a theory. I have this thing about people in hospitality spaces that they believe that the customer is always right. And they think that we owe them more of ourselves than we do. And what I say to people is that you will always get service in my bar and you'll get good service. But in order to get hospitality, you have to recognize the humanity of the people serving you. And if you can't recognize the humanity of the people serving you, you will simply get service. Hospitality is a two-way street in that you have to treat the people that are serving you with respect in order to get true hospitality. And it's the same thing that happens in your... If someone comes in your home and they move your furniture around and they put their feet on your table and they bark orders at you and they are, you know, dismissive of you they're not going to get hospitality in your home. You'd never invite a guest into your home to do that. And I I have a huge issue with, especially after the pandemic, this idea that people have a right to our space and our mental health. And I think they don't. I think you come in, you have a right to service. If you want hospitality, you have to give hospitality. And I think that's one of my biggest things in this industry now is people that come in without the expectation of having to be polite to my staff or me.
2: What makes you happy behind the bar?
0: seeing the aha moment in guests' eyes and faces when they have a cocktail that has taken them onto an experience where they feel seen. I try and make all of the guests, I mean, we have like 60 drinks on our menu, 60 to 80 at any given time. And people are always like, how do you have so many drinks? And it's like, because I want everyone to realize that there is a drink for them that will make them feel like they have had an experience. And I love that moment where they try something that they either haven't tried before or they didn't think they'd like, And all of a sudden, they're really interested in cocktails. The aha moment for me.
2: Love it. Suzu, last cocktail that blew you away.
0: Ooh,
1: I was just in Tokyo and I went to SG Club. And I'm always a little skeptical about skeptical. I can't even talk right now. My goodness, it's the jet lag speaking of like a lot of like these like bars that are so famous around the world that get all this recognition that maybe. The hospitality is not up to standard or maybe the cocktails are just like a little overhyped. And that's just something that I think about every single time I walk into like any cocktail bar that has any kind of recognition. But when I went to SG Club, the service was just like phenomenal. And then I had this dirty martini with mango in it. And it had Brian, olive Brian as well, too. But I'm not really sure how they produce the brine, what the mango incorporation was, it was like three o'clock in the morning when I ordered this, but it was so, am I allowed to swear?
0: Yeah, I <laughs> It was did. so
1: fucking delicious. <laughs> it was so good. I mean, a combination like mango and olive is not something that you typically think of off the top of your head. It makes sense to me why it's delicious, but reading it on paper at first, you're just kind of like, I'm very intrigued by this. I want to know what this is going to be all about. And it was savory and floral and fruity and just... So beautiful. Yeah, I loved that one a lot. That was really beautiful. So I think that was my last cocktail that really blew me away. Of course it was a
2: martini. (laughs) Of
0: course it was a martini.
2: Last one. One gin-based cocktail everyone needs to try.
0: I mean, the Negroni, it's a cheesy bartender answer. And I'm going to preface this by saying that I don't drink a lot of Negronis because it's actually not one of my favorite cocktails. I'm a super taster and have a, a high sensitivity to bitters. But I do think it's one of those cocktails that really exemplifies balance and gets bartenders and people understanding why we use bitters and why, you know, we use certain things. And when I train new bartenders, I tell them like, if you've had a Negroni and you don't like it, you need to have one a week for a week and really kind of get your palate used to bitters because I think it's an important journey for everyone.
2: Susie, how about you? I mean,
1: I was also going to say Negroni, um, Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with Negroni and kind of like, you know, following up on what Kate said, like it is a really amazing combination of so many different profiles that if you're not used to a bitter cocktail or that particular drink, it is one that kind of almost trains your palate a little bit more to kind of be prepared for what's going to be behind the bar. I remember when I first had my first Negroni or even just trying Campari, I didn't like either or, but... I was almost, like, conditioned into liking Campari, which then made me fall in love with the Negroni. At that point, I had already loved vermouth and gin. So that was the missing piece for me. And then I grew a palate for more bitter and more stirred cocktails. So that was almost like training wheels for me to really enjoy this whole other plethora of cocktails that I wasn't ready for quite Yeah, at the time when I was, like, still learning how to bartend. But it is, like, this really fine balance between, like, bitter, sweet, floral herbaceous. For me, it's one of my personal favorite cocktails after the martini, of course, stirred in gin. But yeah, I love that drink so much.
0: I tell new bartenders, it's like eating your vegetables when you're a kid. Like at first you're like, I don't want it. I don't like broccoli. It's bitter and it's gross. Eat your vegetables. It's good for you. And then all of a sudden you get older and you're like, man, I love me some vegetables. Like eat your vegetables.
2: I love it. I love it. Susie, do you want to share a gin cocktail with
0: us? Yeah, totally.
1: It's called the Still Together in San Junipero. It's currently on our menu right now. This one is kind of a combination of a lot of different inspiration. Um, The name comes from an episode of Black Mirror. And if you've ever watched that show or that episode, it's a Pretty dark show, but that episode is a true job of its own. It's really about love and positivity, and it's known to be the one positive episode of the entire franchise. For this show, when it came out, or I guess let me talk about the cocktail first. So it's a clarified milk punch with Ford's preferably. There's also a little bit of like a cacao rum, a little bit of pink guava, yuzu juice, clarified with milk. We have like a local, kind of like an Alpine-like, tomorrow. So if not that we could always use like something like Benedictine or Yellow Chartreuse if you can find it on your market right now. I know that's been a, a pain in the butt lately, but when I watched that episode, San Junior Peril, it brought me like so much love. It brought me so much light that, you know, I can't exactly say that I can relate my appreciation and friendship to Kate as exactly like what this episode is about, because that's like this whole like lesbian romance thing. And like t- <laughs> <laughs> we're not tight like that. It's I a whole different tight. but you know I just remember that feeling of warmth it's that same feeling that I anticipate my guests to have when they do feel some sort of emotion sitting at my bar um is something that I felt watching that episode I was like wow like I have this like this eternal gratitude and love for Kate Gerwin because of this crazy journey that we've been going through in this kind of like dark kind of negative space and For me, that cocktail also brings me a whole lot of just like happiness. How can you go wrong with like pink guava and cacao? It's such a beautiful flavor combination that puts a huge smile on my face every single time I try that drink or that pairing together. So it became like this like full circle like personal moment where it was like the two situations have nothing to do with each other. But that feeling is exactly how I felt when when I watched that episode. So I don't know if any of that made sense to anybody. But it makes it makes sense to me. I
2: love listening to you explain <laughs> your cocktail. So it's great. I don't know where it's gonna go. And I just listen and it, <laughs> stay open to it. And And it's I'm like, I get it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. All right let's wind it down here with social impact and giving back suzu you know this kate as i started to explain all of our guests of the podcast give back in different ways it's one of the main reasons why we started the podcast and i know this is no different for bartenders and the amount of things you do for causes charities, organizations, events in your communities and beyond. We love learning how you all do it. So I would love to give you a moment to shed some light on a cause or charitable organization that you may want to raise awareness for. And I do want to give a second shout out to that GoFundMe that you were mentioning for the gentleman in your community. So I'm happy to do a link to that.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So it's
2: a hard question
1: to answer because both company that my bar is a part of, as well as myself as an individual, do a lot of philanthropic events. We do a lot for the community. I'm very, very fortunate to have bosses that really do care about giving back, so it's really hard to pinpoint one particular nonprofit to just name because my bosses do give me free range to kind of pick whatever I feel like works for the moment. So a lot of the philanthropic work that I've done through my bar and even through my pop up as well too, include like working for to raise funds for like UNICEF Ukraine when the war started last year to raising funds for La Casa de las Madres, which is a nonprofit here in. San Francisco which is like a safety shelter for for women and children that might be like in a domestic a domestic violent situation when all the attacks on like the AAPI community started happening in 2020 that also created a lot of sorry we're I'm we're setting up our our bar right now so give me one second with the ice (laughs) When 2020 happened, this kind of allowed a lot of bartenders to want to give back to the API community, but it was so much more than that. It was not just like a let's raise some money, you know, it was more of like let's create a voice. So groups like Daijobu Pop-up that are based out of Austin, Texas and also now Seattle between Karen, Sharon and myself we were doing a lot of like social work through our social media platforms, raising awareness, sharing little things that were happening in the our markets that would support our local communities like whether if it was free rideshare apps for elderly API residents, or, you know, just even uh, a safe space market space for people to shop at when things were getting kind of crazy. We were sharing all that because between at, at that point, the three of us, we were covering three different markets. And all three markets were going through some like some crazy stuff. So our social media to us, we just kind of look at it as like oh, like you know we've got so many followers or we've got like you know I post this that on a regular basis, whatever it is. but instead of gloating about, that we were utilizing our platforms as a way to educate people more and share information and get that out faster so i think that's kind of like you know been my approach to giving back to the community fundraisers events absolutely that should be a, a given at this point but what else can we do outside of that and that was doing the actual getting rid of the middle person and just going straight to the source kind of thing.
2: So. And I also want to do call out, I do recall one of your pledges from your pop-up when we spoke a couple of years ago was to uplift, support, cross-promote, collaborate with other communities and hospitality workers and whatnot in the POC LGBTQ plus immigration statuses. I remember you said physical and developmental working conditions, all different sectors. So thanks for adding on to it this time around. Kate, are there any specific out out your way that you would like to highlight?
0: You know, we I I have a weird thing about businesses and charities. I sometimes I feel like it's This like calling card of come in, spend money and we'll donate here. And it's not very often that we as a bar do that because I don't think that charity should be a drive force for sales. I feel like it gets a little on that edge of like, come help us make money so we can donate. So we kind of do things a little bit differently. Like we did a a pop-up with Suzu and we donated to the New Mexico Black Cat Society, which is a youth LGBT organization that provides a safe space for transitioning and LGBT youth to not only have creative outlets, but mentors, guides, therapy, access to mental health. And I love doing things like that. We donate to them every year. We've donated to a lot of places, but we very rarely do it as a, a portion of this cocktail goes to this because I feel like it's, it gets a little bit borderline on this kind of using it as a marketing tool. And I know it's just me and, and my ideas of not wanting to do that. One of the things that I really love every year that we do at the bar is we sponsor families through a local organization called Safe House, which is a place for battered and abused women and families and children who are in times of turmoil to really provide Christmases and things like that for their family. And the first year we did it, we sponsored a family. And the next year, we really went all in and sponsored several families. And it's a chance for the staff to bond over providing charity. And we don't put it on our social media and we don't ask people to bring things in, but we assign each one of the staff members a a person. And we're like, you have a six-year-old little boy to go shopping for. And we give them a budget and they get to go buy all the things that they are either on the little boys list or whatever else. And then we all get together and then we wrap everybody's presents together and we get a meal plan together. And then we get a situation where we get to go if the family's willing. I mean, it has to be an open situation where they're willing to allow us or we drop it off to the charitable organization here in town. But I found that not only was it cool because we were giving back to a family directionally as opposed to through, you know, like we raise money and we give it to this person and then we don't have any connection to it. But the staff really gets, last year they, some of them went shopping together. They plan their things and what they're going to do. And it gives them an opportunity to not just be making drinks for charity, but actually go out and physically contribute to knowing that physical gift that they bought, that a little six-year-old boy is going to open it under the tree and think that Santa Claus brought them something great. And they get the opportunity to do that. And I will continue that every year as part of the thing that we do because I felt like it wasn't just a way for us to give back, but the staff kind of bonded over it and had a really good time with it.
2: I think that's fucking fantastic. Thank you. You said earlier about the dollar from each drink goes here. No, it's not just you. Chances are if you're thinking it, other people may be thinking it too. So thank you for saying it. It's
0: and I don't I'm not trying to knock on people that do that because I charity is charity. Sure. But I think sometimes sure. I see specific people doing it repetitive and you're kind of like, okay, like uh, how many cocktails did you sell a hundred of those cocktails that night? Just give a hundred dollars to charity. Right.
2: Right. Like, like it, there it, may the be onus, a way to make it, like, it more meaningful. Almost. Yeah.
1: With my program, we do have a cocktail that we donate like a, a certain percentage based off of each sale. But we don't necessarily think that's the only way to do everything because at the end of the day, as a business, you also don't want people to like you know what if someone sends that cocktail back because they don't like it do you lose that sale or do you lose that donation there's like that kind of like thought process too so I'm very lucky and fortunate to be in a situation where you know like when I was invited to go to a happy accidents to go do my guest shift there Kate was going to like pay me a certain amount of money. But I didn't need that because she had already like booked my flight, got my hotel and everything. So I wasn't going to lose anything out of that. And instead, I just donated my entire, what would have been my payment to the New Mexico Black Cats. And I think a nonprofit would benefit more from receiving a bigger number like that, rather than, oh, we sold 25 of your cocktails, despite how much effort we put into promoting it. At the end of the day, a guest shouldn't feel pressured to like have to or guilted into ordering a cocktail because that one drink is going to be donated or 100 percent, 10 percent, whatever the percentage is of that profit is going to go towards a fundraiser. Because at the end of the day, it could be a lose-lose situation if the guests didn't like the drink. If we only sold like, you know, 15 of those drinks, then all that energy kind of went nowhere and, you know, eliminating that entire perception and just getting to the point, I think is a lot more, I think, appreciated if you were going to be the nonprofit receiving that. So I love what Kate does with the holiday thing. I think that's really awesome because it is a lot more thoughtful and heartwarming than just sending someone a check of something that might be Not, it might not be a big check, so.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you're entrenching yourself, I mean, in the community.
0: I I I also, again, fundraising is fundraising. And I want, I think that it's a way we started fundraising where we thought, oh, well, a portion of this is donated. And it was just something everyone did, so we just kind of all did it. But I think when we are trying to really grow and change as businesses, the idea for me is basically saying... I want you to come in to my business and spend money with me and then spend some extra money so I can in turn donate it and look good. When in all actuality, have you really done any fundraising or are you just getting people in your door? Because in the end, you're really... The people are doing the fundraising, the guests are. If you have a budget, for, put it in your budget. If you have an amount that you can donate, donate that amount. And it doesn't have to be a tit for tat. You can just make the donation. And a lot of times, like I I know we do a lot of donations and I've even had the staff been like, are you even gonna post that? You didn't even, and I'm like, I'm not. Because it didn't really matter. It's not a marketing gimmick for us. And yeah, maybe sometimes I should because I do see the inherent value in leadership. If you see another bar making a donation, you want to make a donation. And if you see a leader in the community making a donation, you know, it's something that you should be doing. But on the other hand, I don't want people to come to my bar because they think we're going to donate a certain amount. I want them to come to my bar because we're a good business and we're there for our community.
2: Awesome. Well, we normally end it right now, but I have been asking a closing question to bartenders this season, and it's varied. And I would like to close it out with that for you both. We often ask, our chefs in our Beyond the Plate episodes, a question that borders the line of like, advice to young cooks, some form (laughs) of that question. And we started the Beyond the Drink season, I think with Mike Capoferri, asking advice to young bartenders. So I would love for you both to share uh, a piece of advice you may want to give to young up-and-coming bartenders. I have tons. (laughs) (laughs) Part two.
0: Yeah, my advice to young bartenders first and foremost don't look at everybody else and what they're doing and try and emulate that for success. Be yourself, be confident, be humble, be original. But what everybody else is doing is not necessarily going to work for you. And I was very lucky and I started bartending and I'm going to date myself, but there wasn't I mean, we had a little bit of Facebook. There was an Instagram. We didn't all get on and do our little fancy videos with our pinkies up and pouring with our, you know, our wrists twisted and then wonder why we have Carpal Tunnel and all kinds of fun and exciting things like that. I think I was a little bit sheltered from that. But the key to success is making connection and it's not copying everybody else. So don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Just shut out the white noise and focus on the things that make you feel good. And even when it doesn't feel like it's being successful at that moment, stay the course because your originality and your passion is going to be what makes you successful. Copying everybody else is not.
2: Love it. Thanks, Kate. How about you, Susan? Well, yeah, I 100% agree
1: with that. What she said. uh, We talk about, (laughs) Susan and I talk about things a lot. I think... My advice is not to take it so seriously, or I guess, if anything, take it seriously as as much as you want to. I think it's very easy to get lost in this industry, maybe lose track of focus of what your goals are. But in order to achieve success and longevity, I think you have to give to your career what it is that you want from it. And I'm not saying that I necessarily did everything the right way. I would definitely do things differently if I were in my position again, like, you know, in my early 20s versus like my late 20s. Like I, I thought if I just worked myself to death, I will achieve success. I'm very fortunate that I achieved success, but I'm also always so tired <laughs> and um. Missing out on a lot of the things that a lot of my friends were able to do, hang out with each other, you know, and I think I focus so much on my career that, once again, very grateful for what I have right now, but I don't want to continue moving forward with my career thinking that i just have to keep on running myself to the ground so putting yourself first i think is the most important thing taking yourself seriously is another thing but there are different ways to achieve that and also just to also have i guess i don't want to just say have fun because it's such a cliche thing to say but along the lines of not taking it so seriously it's okay to have fun it's okay to like not every single cocktail has to have like this serious important story to it behind it but you know, to be goofy, to have fun with your friends and just to laugh more, I think is just the most important thing. So and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. I've made so many of them and some of them I'm very proud of. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's actually, you know, what full circle. It kind of comes back to the term happy accidents. You know, I remember when I have a tattoo that says happy accidents on my ankle that I tattooed myself when I was like 17 meeting Kate and getting to know her really almost just kind of like gave me this idea of this mental ethos or philosophy of how she runs and how I think at one point I did too and forgot about how to just almost treat my life and career as if it was like improvising in a jazz quartet, just everything's a happy accident. It's going to come together. It's going to be amazing. It might not be what you read in a book on how to achieve success, but I'm going to get there and it's going to be amazing and beautiful. And that's kind of what happened. <laughs>
2: I fucking love it. So cool. Thank you both for your time. I loved everything you said about all you do in your communities, your about your cocktails, your stories, how much you both care about those you work with and those around you. Please keep up. The great work and spreading the good positive word to everybody that you come across. Thank you. Thank you. To get the recipe from this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. This episode is produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at on Cappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Drink, a production of Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy.